The reading this morning is taken from chapters 9 and 10 of the book of Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not, and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And he called to him his 12 disciples. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Aphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would help us to worship you right now through it. Lord, we have worshiped you in song. We have sung to you your goodness and your glory, and now we want to worship you in your word. And Lord, I ask for help as we turn to the gospel of Matthew. Would you give us hearts that are willing to hear what you would want to say? And would you speak in such a way that we know it's you who are speaking? Lord, I pray that everything that I might say this morning would be pleasing in your sight and helpful to your people. But I ask you, Lord, would you give us a desire to be like Matthew and willing to leave everything in order to follow you? Would you remove from us affections that are ungodly, habits that are unholy and tendencies that are unhelpful? And would you cultivate a Christ-like attitude within us? And may we be happy to cooperate with you as you do that in the lives of your people. And Lord, I pray for those who might not yet have the faith to believe. I ask you, would you please grant them faith this morning? For we know without you, we can do nothing and that includes even understanding the sweetness of the gospel. So would you please let the gospel be sweet to us this morning? Let it be heard. And please keep our minds free from distraction. And let us focus our attention on your word. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, today we want to begin a new sermon series in the gospel of Matthew. And we have... Uh, just this morning at 9 o'clock celebrated uh, what we call Celebration Sunday, where we spend a, a little time uh, looking back over the past year, and we want today to be a day of continual celebration, for God has been mightily good to us, and to prove it, there's some food awaiting for you after this service is over, because everything is better with food. 
I think. And so, so is Christian fellowship and friendship. And so I invite you to, to plan to stay with us and enjoy the outdoors and have some um, hamburgers and hot dogs and, and enjoy meeting new people. One of the things that we have struggled with over the past year is getting to know people. And there are lots of new faces and maybe you see faces that you don't recognize. Well, today's a, a good opportunity for you to stay and hang around, have some food and get to know some new faces. Um, but uh, we are, are praising the Lord for his kindness of an, of an, over the past year. And uh, so we sort of turn the page and close uh, one ministry year, look forward to a new one, starting of a new school year. And this year, we as elders discerned, um, we sense the Lord leading us into the Gospel of Matthew. And so um, what we try to do in preaching is balance New Testament with Old Testament. We try to preach the whole counsel of God. And that means spending time in the Old Testament as well as in the New. And we just finished a 14-week series through the book of Psalms, which is found in the Old Testament. And so now we want to turn our attention to the New Testament, and we, as we prayed about it, seen that uh, the Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, would be good for us. So I invite you to join with us on a little journey through the Gospel of Matthew. It might take us about a, a whole ministry year or so, but nothing good uh, comes quickly, right? Good things are, they take time to develop, and so part of the moving through Scripture is savoring the sweetness of God's goodness. And so all of, we believe all of scripture is inspired by God and good for us, uh, including the difficult parts. And so we're going to spend our time just going through the whole book um, of Matthew, which is you see, if you, if you open your Bible or you have your, you know, your device scroll to the very uh, first page of Matthew, it says the gospel according to Matthew. And if you're wondering where did that title come from, it actually comes from one of the oldest extant manuscripts that we have uh, access to, which is um, a, a cover page um, called P4, which stands for Papyrus Number 4, uh, which includes this title, the Gospel according to Matthew. So in Greek, it's Evangelion Matthion, which is Matthew's name. Uh, this dates to about the last half of the first century or early part of the second century. Um, you can see this particular uh, papyrus in the uh, National uh, Library in France. So if you're wondering, are there, is there biblical reason, good, solid, evidentiary reason to trust in Scripture? We have ancient manuscripts that give us a sense of confidence that what we have before us um, in translating the Bible is accurate. So we have thousands of copies of New Testament manuscripts. I just wanted to show you one because it's, this is the oldest and it just happens to be the Gospel of Matthew. And I, I pray that the Lord would help you through this whole series to be convinced this book that we call the Bible is true and worthy of you putting your faith into the truths that are proclaimed through this book. This is, we're not making this stuff up. There, there, this is real historical information and it's validated by the, the gospel's continued effect in transforming our lives. And you're going to meet Matthew today. So as we start this series, I want to introduce you to Matthew today to get a little feel for who he is. Because you, <clears throat> you might have, you know, the, the New Testament begins with what are traditionally called four gospels. And sometimes people get in a, a mistaken opinion that there's four different Gospels. And, and that's not quite true. There's one Gospel that has been told through four different perspectives, all focusing on one person. 
And that's the point of the Gospel of Matthew, is to help you see Jesus. All of the Gospels shine uh, your and focus your attention on Jesus in different ways and in different means to, to sort of highlight different aspects of his glory. So there's Gospel is about one person. It is the gospel of Christ, yet told from kind of four different perspectives. And I, as I was thinking about this, it's kind of like the glory of this earth is manifested in four seasons. We, we get different manifestations of the glory. Fall has its own beauty and glory. Winter, its own beauty and glory. But it manifests the goodness of this earth and the way that God has created it. That's kind of the way that, that the Gospels display the glory of Christ. And Matthew has a particular concern. And so as we move through this morning, I'm hoping to illustrate some of those concerns that will probably, I'm praying, be helpful for you as you begin to read through this gospel with us. And many of the life groups are doing that. Um, but one question might be, well, when did Matthew write? When was this gospel written? And it, it is a little difficult to nail down specific dates of the New Testament uh, authors, but there are some, some hints. But um, have a little chart that might help you get in your head. This is possibly the way that things unfold. There is a debate. There's always a debate about everything, right? Everything under the sun is debatable. And yet, um, it, it could be that Mark was actually written first in about the mid to late 50s, and then that followed by Matthew, late 50s, early 60s, uh, Luke, then early 60s, and then John. Um, but Mark is an interesting little gospel. It's the shortest. It is the most compact. You can read it in about, I think, eight minutes. You sit down and read the gospel of Mark. You can read the whole story of Jesus' life in eight or ten minutes. It's very short. It's like... Um, an action-packed drama. Mark uses the word immediately 35 times. As you read through the, everything happens and immediately Jesus did this and immediately he did this and immediately he did this. Action just kind of flows and flows. And what we have discovered from um, a fourth century church historian who was quoting the writings of a second century bishop uh, he said that Mark actually wrote his gospel based upon Peter's memories and recounting of the life of Jesus. And so we have a very uh, trustworthy gospel in, in, in Mark writing very early, Matthew then following close on his heels. And it could be that Matthew took Mark's you know, kind of outline, we might say, and then expanded it. Because what we see is that the teaching of Matthew focuses, uh, the content of Matthew focuses on the teaching of Jesus more so than Mark does. Mark gives you the events of Jesus' life, but Matthew gives you the teaching of Jesus such that 35% of the content of the book of Matthew is unique to Matthew, particularly related to the teaching of Jesus. It's not included in any other gospel. For example, the detail of the Sermon on the Mount. Incredible detail that, that Matthew offers. Well, what's Matthew doing here? And so I'm inviting you as we move through this morning, keep in your mind, what does this reveal about Matthew? His focus is, is lasered, uh, kind of driven on Jesus. So he zeroes into the content of Jesus' teaching. So we have um, a gospel that is written very, very early. Uh, in fact, 
Uh, one uh, early church historian said that Matthew wrote while Paul and Peter were still preaching in Rome, which is in the early 60s. So it could be that Matthew is actually writing this gospel uh, while Peter and, and Paul were still alive. Now, there are some who would say, you're, you're dead wrong. Matthew was written way closer to the end of the first century, maybe around A.D. 80 or after. The reason they say that is because of the detailed uh, exposition that Jesus gives about the destruction of the temple. It's so detailed that many scholars think it can't possibly have happened beforehand. It happened, it has to be written later. Well, that just presumes that Jesus is unable to accurately know what's coming. I don't think that's impossible. So I don't see that a later date is required because of, of Jesus is the son of God and has been anointed by the Holy Spirit in the way that he has, then the spirit of God could reveal to Matthew exactly, I mean to Jesus, and Matthew's recording it, exactly what he needs to know about the future. And he warns us, in fact, throughout the gospels, we hear Jesus repeatedly saying, I'm telling you this before it happens so that when it does happen, do you know what he next says? You will know that I am he, right? That's what God does. He announces beforehand what he's going to do so that you can have confidence that what unfolds is actually from the Lord. So I think we have a gospel that is completely trustworthy, written very, very early uh, in late 50s or so, 20 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus. It's not some distant gospel that's made up or fictional. I, fully confident that what we have in the Gospel of Matthew is true. And if you're one of those people who love to dig in deeply, uh, I'd like to recommend two commentaries to you. Uh, and some of you life group leaders, this might be helpful to you as well. My two favorite commentaries are the uh, Expositor's Bible Commentary, Volume 8. This one includes the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Matthew portion is written by D.A. Carson. It's a wonderful technical uh, commentary, very helpful and pastoral. Uh, but a second one is the Tyndale New Testament Commentary, which is um, a little more accessible and easier to get your head around. I brought my copy, just I'm going to leave it up here in case you want to take a peek at it afterwards. Uh, but if you want... This is very devotional. This is very helpful in, in reading and studying. So if you want to dig in, I'll leave this up here. You can poke uh, around at it. Just don't take off with it and go home with it, please. Sometimes that happens. Um, but anyway, I know it would be unintentional if it did. So there's some commentaries that might be helpful in you studying. But let's, who is this guy, Matthew? Who, who is he? What do we see? Um, none of the New Testament authors actually name themselves as the authors of the Gospels that hold, are attributed to their names. Uh, probably because the local setting uh, in which the Gospels developed was in a local church setting, and uh, everybody knew who the authors were. It, it would be kind of like me sharing with you what I wrote while I was on sabbatical, and I didn't put my name on it. I just kind of passed out a little summary. I'm like, here, I'm thinking about this. Is this helpful? Everybody here knows who wrote it. But as time went on, then uh, we, we need to make sure that the name is attached to it. So it could be that that's why, or it could be that they're just so deferential. They want the focus completely on Jesus and not anything on themselves, which would be completely in line with the kind of humility that we see in the Gospels. But I want you to know there is a universal agreement among the early church fathers that Matthew, the disciple, the tax collector, wrote this Gospel. 
that we have before us. Complete unanimity. And it was the most quoted gospel um, all the way up through the, the second century as far as reference for uh, Jesus' life. Uh, the focus was on Matthew. So who is this Matthew? Um, well, he is not only the, uh, a disciple, one of the 12 disciples, but he also is called Levi. Uh, so he's Matthew, Levi. Both names are attributed to him in scripture. And some people have stumbled over this because are we talking about the same person or not? Uh, and yet we have lots of biblical examples of, of same one person being called by two names, right? Peter was also called what? Simon, right? Simon Peter. Um, John is, is John Mark, right? The author of Mark is also called John Mark. We have Saul, who is also called Paul. And we have, so two names can be uh, nothing to, to get shocked over. Um, and and I, I am David Todd. So in the same way that I'm David Todd, we have Matthew Levi, who is the author of this gospel. And what we find about him is that before he met Jesus, he was a tax collector. So he's called to be one of the 12 disciples, but prior to that, he's a tax collector. So I just want to read verse 9 again to get it before you. And again, we're asking, Lord, help us see who is this man who wrote this gospel. Verse 9, Matthew chapter 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. Now, where this is taking place, if you're visual, you want to get your, your head around where this is happening, this is the northern part of the uh, Galilee and, or the Sea of Galilee. It's in the region of, of Galilee, and uh, he, Matthew is a tax collector on a border region of the entire area of Judea was governed by Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the Herod who was alive when Jesus was born and who had the little babies killed. Um, and so when he died, he divided his kingdom among his three sons. So Galilee sits on the border of one of the sons called Philip and the other called Antipas. And it looks like that Matthew is a tax collector for uh, Herod Antipas, uh, that particular son. So he's, he's looking uh, as being an overseer for what's happening on the shores, the, the going back and forth in the shipping industry. He's taxing all of these things. And the, the problem is tax collectors were hate it, which probably most of us can understand, right? Who, who wants to give your money to the assessment officer? And yet it's part of living in any government. Uh, we have to pay taxes in order to support the government. But uh, Matthew was a Jew. And so he's viewed as a traitor by his uh, fellow citizens because he's working for the occupying enemy Roman power. And so he is, is helping to collect taxes to support Rome. Uh, so tax collectors were despised in the day because they took the power and authority that had been granted to them and, and frequently and very often abused it such that the, the appropriate amount of taxes that should be taken was often increased so that some padding could go into the tax collector's pocket. So tax collectors tended to be very wealthy people and were despised and outcasts and were shunned by those who were pious Jews around them. So Matthew is not a popular guy among Jews. He's hated among Jews. He's despised among Jews. He's shunned by pious Jews. And yet he is a tax collector. But this also means that he was a very well-educated man he probably was fluent in both Aramaic and Greek. 
He's probably well-skilled at keeping records, and he's attentive to details. He's an observant person, and so quite good, actually, if you're going to need a guy to record significant events over time. So that might be interesting. So he is a tax collector, but we also see from this that Matthew is a total convert. He completely is all in with Jesus. In verse 9, when Jesus said, follow me, the text is amazing in saying, what? Did he phone a friend? You know, I got this new job opportunity. Um, what do you think? Here's the, here's the, the, the pros. Here's the cons. Uh, can you help me make a decision? This new guy is a teacher. He's in the land. He's kind of a, you know, an itinerant guy. I don't, I don't know if we'd stay put. Uh, he, he doesn't do any of that. What, is the, what does verse 9 tell us? He, he got up and he left. Jesus said, follow me. And he left everything. Luke tells us in his account of this, Matthew walked away from everything. He walked away from his job. He, he walked away from the connections that he had. He left behind the tax booth and all of the money. He just left it. Completely walked away. That's amazing to me. Leaving behind the connections with the Roman government, the security that all of that would have brought, he just gets up and he walks away. So Matthew is all in, in a moment. Now he's probably heard about Jesus before. Jesus has already begun to be teaching by this point. Jesus has been teaching in the region of Galilee up until now. So Matthew, as the observant guy he is, wanting to make sure that everybody's getting appropriately taxed, he's heard about Jesus. He's maybe even heard about him in person. And yet when Jesus walks by and says, Matthew, come with me. He goes. I find that deeply convicting. Because how much energy and emotional attachment do we have to the things of this world? And Matthew models a kind of, I don't care about these things. I, I see something in this man. I'm all in. I will follow him. And, and I know he's all in because of what happens next. So look at with me at verse 10. So immediately after follow me, next verse, Jesus then reclined at table in the house. Now Matthew doesn't tell us whose house it is, but Luke and Mark do. It's Matthew's house. Matthew invited Jesus to his own house. So Jesus reclined at the table uh, in, the, in the house. And behold, <clears throat> many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. So Matthew leaves his job, he leaves the tax booth, he leaves everything behind, and what does he do? He invites everybody over to his house for dinner, and Jesus is his guest. He wants all of his tax collector friends to meet Jesus. He is not ashamed of Christ. He invites everybody that he knows, which is a bunch of riffraff and rabble in, in the day, he invites them all to come to his house for dinner, and it's a big party. 
Luke says it was a great feast. It, there was lots of people here. And all of them are the people that any pious Jew would want to stay away from. And I'm just curious, how many of you, if you gave up your job one day, would the next invite the whole town over for dinner? That doesn't seem very wise to me. And yet, that's exactly what Matthew does. He invites everyone to meet Jesus. Tax collectors, hated, ridiculed, outcasts, as well as sinners. People who, who you avoid, the downcast, the outcast of the society. He invites them all over. And what is interesting here also is... All of these people would have, have caused any Jew to be ceremonially unclean if you eat with them. Peter, one time in going to the, uh, a, a centurion's home, uh, later when he was reporting about it, the Jews said to him, you went in and you ate with a centurion? You, you went into his house? Uh, Jews didn't do that. They did not have table fellowship. It's too intimate. It's too close. You get defiled by hanging around too closely with sinners. And yet Matthew invites everybody over and Jesus comes. And what's interesting here is Matthew records something that none of the other gospels records. It is one sentence from the Old Testament. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me again. He says this, <clears throat> so, the, so the question from the Pharisee, the Pharisees are there, by the way, so this gives us a little clue as to what is happening in Jesus' ministry. He's stirring up uh, lots of observation. The, the Pharisees are watching him. He's begun to draw attention. And so as he goes to dinner, the Pharisees are watching and they say, why? To the disciples, not to Jesus, right? We don't want to talk straight to him. Ask his disciples, why does your master eat with sinners and tax collectors? They're not looking for information. That is an accusation. They are leveling a charge at Jesus and saying, this guy's off his rocker. He's faulty. He's not authentic. And yet Jesus hears this in the background and he responds. And here's what he says. And this is what I want you to see. When he heard it, when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call righteous, but sinners. That quote, I, um, those, uh, I came, sorry, those who are sick have no need of a physician. What is he saying there? If, if you're listening closely, he's saying there's a bunch of sick people around the table. All of these sinners here um, are sick. I'm with them because I'm, I'm bringing healing, right? Some people would look at this and say, Jesus is very soft on sin. He, he's, he's fellowshipping with them. He's condoning their actions and he's, he's not. He's sitting at the table, yes, but what is he saying by inference? I'm here to bring healing from sin. And I wonder how many of us think about sin as a sickness, Sin is a corruption in our souls, and we treat it as if it's just not all that bad. Uh, Jesus here says, I I'm coming like a physician to help sinful people get healed from their sinfulness. And he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting uh, Hosea chapter 6, an Old Testament prophet. None of the other gospel writers write this quote. 
None of, them, none of the other gospel accounts, Mark, Luke, uh, nor John, record this quote at the table. They record this meal, but not what Jesus said. So here's Matthew, and here's what I want you to think about. Why does Matthew record this? Nobody else does. This quote from Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If you go back to Hosea and look at it, um, God is speaking. Hosea is speaking on behalf of God and he's talking about the apostasy of the nation of, of Israel in being, they were church attenders, we might say, consistent, regular church attenders, but their hearts cared nothing about God. There was no affection in the heart for the Lord. There was outward observance, but there's no inward affection at all for the Lord. They're going through the motions, but their hearts were not in it. And so Jesus then quotes God, who at that point was saying, the sacrificial system, all of the observances of the animal sacrifices, why do you think where I have commanded them? It's not because I'm hungry, right? Some, do you misunderstand? The purpose, the purpose of offering the animal sacrifices is not because God needs breakfast and dinner. He's the, uh, the commanding of the sacrifices and the shedding of the blood was a means by which atonement to be granted to the penitent person bringing the sacrifice so that communion could be restored. Do you see? That symbolized forgiveness of sins. Communion with God was impossible with, if sin is present. So the sacrifices were symbolic of the removal of the barrier that stands between God and man. And yet, God is not saying, if you engage in the religious activity, and yet your heart is not with me, I don't need the religious activity. Mere church attendance, you might say, in our, our vernacular, is not what I'm looking for. That's not to say, well, then don't go to church, right? We don't have to go. That's not the point. The point is we've got our priorities upside down. And so Jesus is saying to these people, you missed the point, Pharisees, in saying, go and learn what this means. That was actually what the rabbis said when they were teaching their students that you've missed something in your homework. You ever, you ever te have a teacher tell you that? You come up, you show them work. I don't understand this. You've got some teachers in here and you're saying, okay, just go back and go do every step that I taught you how to do and you'll get the right answer. You just, you missed a step along the way. That's exactly what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here. You missed a step. You missed the point. The point is not mere religious observance. The point is communion with the Lord God Almighty. And that comes from a love. First and greatest commandment, Jesus said, is love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. This word, mercy, I desire mercy, it's hesed. In the Old Testament, Hebrews 6, it's hesed. It's that steadfast love, that committed covenant love. That's what God is looking for. And I have to ask you today, where do you stand with that love for God? Where is God in your level of affection? Because all, we can all come to church every Sunday and look great. And our hearts can be far from him. And yet the Lord through Jesus here is saying, I will sit down with sinners and we will have a conversation. And we'll talk about this. 
This is not, Jesus is not here giving permissions for sinners to stay sinners by having dinner with them. There is an instance at which we, we know very clearly how Jesus treats sinners. The lady who was caught in adultery, when she was brought to him and Jesus was put on the spot, you remember when, when all of these people left and Jesus alone is standing there with this woman, he said to her, uh, where are your accusers? And she says, everybody's gone. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Though he could. He perfectly could. And she had committed a capital offense. So had the guy who, with whom she was caught, who didn't happen to be there. But nevertheless, Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. But he also said what? Do you remember? Go and sin no more. I, I think some of us, when we look at our own sinfulness, we like to hear that first part of the sentence, and that is, I, I don't condemn you either. When you're alone in your own little prayer closet and you're talking to the Lord about your sin, do you often say that? You had, you had every good reason to do that, right? You, that was a perfectly appropriate response. It was a little off, but it was perfectly appropriate given the circumstances. You're, you're okay. How many of you preach to yourselves the last part of Jesus' sentence, which is, don't sin anymore? And that's what Jesus is here doing. He's sitting with who? A tax collector. A, a, a professional sinner, we might say. And Jesus says, I want you to be on my team. I want you to follow me. And he leaves it. He leaves everything in order to go and follow Jesus. That's what Matthew, that's the kind of person he is. He's all in for Jesus. I would invite you to the same all in for Jesus. I'm not saying you got to quit work tomorrow morning. Don't hear me. But I, I am saying, what holds the highest value in your heart? What, what is the highest affection? Who holds that? Is God in the proper place that he ought to be in your life and in my life? And so Matthew sits with a, a Savior who he is so... Uh, drawn to that he is willing to invite all of his friends come over to my house for life group that's what's happening here he has invited everybody over for a life group I want you to sit with my savior and meet him and so Jesus begins to heal Jesus comes here as a healer of people with sickness our sinfulness whatever your uh, burden is whatever sin you are so easily entangled with it is a sickness it's a spiritual sickness of which Jesus can heal us and part of the message of Matthew is will you follow him with that kind of determination that kind of single-minded focus to say Jesus I am all in with you so that's Matthew we don't know much about him. This is actually the only instance that we have of anything that happened in his home. Only thing that we know about his life. He was a tax collector. He was the son of Alphaeus. His other name was Levi. And he invited everybody over to a party with Jesus. That's all we know from scripture. So that's all I can tell you about Matthew. But I admire him. He left everything when Jesus called and he followed him. So why did Matthew, as we close, write this gospel? I think there's a couple of reasons that we see as we move through the whole text. Uh, first, Matthew wrote this gospel in order to present Jesus as the Messiah of the Jews. 
No other gospel writer quotes Old Testament scripture like Mike Matthew does. Over 14 times, he specifically notes an Old Testament messianic prophecy and explicitly says it's fulfilled in Jesus. Again and again and again. He is writing to convince Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the first reason he is writing. Second, he is also writing to tell Gentiles, you're included. Because the very last words all throughout this gospel, you will see Gentiles coming to Jesus, meaning non-Jews, as, as all of us probably. And so at the very end, we have this command from Jesus who he tells his disciples, go tell every nation. Go make disciples of every nation, teaching them everything that I said and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This gospel was written to tell Gentiles that the Savior of the Jews can also be your Savior too. This is also a gospel for Gentiles. Third, Matthew talks about the kingdom of God in, in ways that brings it very present. So the kingdom of God is not something far away, it's something near, very, very near. So God, God's not far off. He's not running the universe somewhere out there that he's unattached of, of our lives. His kingdom comes very near. When we obey his commands, the kingdom of God is present. So he is writing to illustrate the coming of the kingdom. Uh, fourth reason he's writing is to demonstrate the foundation of the church. That Matthew's gospel is the only place we find the word church, ecclesia, in, in the gospels. Only Matthew talks about the church. And it's, it's on Jesus' lips because Jesus is talking about the church. But Matthew picks up on that in a way he wants to establish the church. So the early church used the book of Matthew to, for catechesis, for teaching young disciples how to follow Jesus. So if you have never been discipled, what you would say discipled, there's lots of variations of what that word even means. Um, come join us on Sunday mornings for the next year and you'll be discipled. Because we're going to learn together what Matthew taught about Jesus, which is helping each other to follow the Lord. That's what we do on Sunday. That's why we're here. We're here to encourage each other. Keep the faith. Don't despair. Keep believing. Keep us keeping the faith. That's kind of what we're doing together. Um, fifth reason that Jesus, I mean that Matthew wrote, is to preserve and to proclaim the teachings of Jesus to preserve and proclaim the teaching of Jesus. And so the gospel-centered focus of this entire uh, literary device here of what Matthew is doing is aimed at preserving what Jesus said. So if you ever want to know the word of God and you want to hear the voice of God, this is a great place to start. If you've never read the gospel of Matthew, I ask you to join us in doing so. So in conclusion, I invite you to, to take a, a little bit of a journey with me through this year. And go a little slow in reading um, this gospel. And, and we, we've actually, we have purchased about 150 copies of a scripture journal to help you walk through this book. Uh, on each page is a, a page of scripture. And the first page actually has the homework for next week. It is um, verses 1 to 17. It's a genealogy. And, and I know all of us, we go to genealogies and our, <sighs> we yawn and like, why are they in the Bible? Well, we're going to find out next week. Come back. But there's a page of scripture and there's a blank page that you can, what my wife has, has been doing is, is simply reading this and saying, wow, Jesus, you, you said this? 
or you said that? In other words, this is a place for writing your thoughts to your Lord. There's, a, a, there's under a white tablecloth out there. I tried to hide them because everybody comes in. They're, gonna, they're just going to run off the table quickly. But they're under a white um, tablecloth and there's some in here on this table under a white tablecloth. So when you leave, the first person out the door, pull off the, unveil the Holy of Holies and, and pick up one of these copies. If we run out, and we might, you can order these at crossway.org. But uh, we got 150 copies so that if, if you are interested in taking a little journey, um, maybe this will be helpful to, to slowly read God's word and let us kind of digest it together. Because this, this gospel is reliable. The Matthew's gospel is trustworthy and true. It is Christ-focused. It zeroes in on the teachings of Jesus. This is a gospel for Jews. And this is a gospel for Gentiles. This is a gospel to edify the church. And this is a gospel to build your faith. It is also a gospel where you will find mercy if you are a sinner. You will find forgiveness if you surrender to the Lord Jesus. And you will find help to embrace patterns of holiness in your life. Strength that is beyond you. Let's pray together. Jesus, our hearts yearn for you. We need you more than anything. And Lord, we, we would ask you to come and sit at the table with us. Oh, how sweet it would be if we could go out on these little picnic tables out behind this building and sit at the table with you. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would, you would sit with each one of us. And Jesus, I praise you for being a kind of savior who sits with sinners also does not leave us comfortable in our sin. You call us to follow you and you walked in paths of righteousness. Lord, you said, if we ask for forgiveness, you would grant it. Some of us in this room need to ask for forgiveness. And Lord, we believe if we ask, you will forgive if that's you, I invite you just between the privacy of you and the Lord right now to confess your sin before the Lord. Confess it and then follow him. Be willing to turn away from it. And Jesus, we trust you because the things that we leave behind, we trust by faith you will lead us into better spaces. What your holiness can give, what your goodness can give is far better than all of the sinful mess that we cling to. So Lord, be merciful to us. And by your Holy Spirit, help us to follow you with all of our hearts. And Father, grant faith to those who just can't believe you. And let today be a day that is the beginning of a new direction and perhaps even a new affection of our hearts. I ask you, Lord Jesus, move us, move our hearts towards you. And Jesus, 
we put all of our faith and trust in you. We worship you and we love you and we hope in your powerful name. Amen.